KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Cedar Sinai faces federal civil rights investigation over treatment of black mothers and the family of April Valentine, who died during childbirth in January 2023 at Sentinella Hospital in Inglewood, is still waiting for that facility to be investigated. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Good evening. I'm Angela Birdsong. Here are today's headlines. No reparations for survivors of the 1921 Tulsa massacre. Reports on hospitality worker strike. The, wider, the Writers Guild strike, and now Etsy is striking. Cannabis dispensary drivers and depot workers want to unionize. International news with Polina Vasiliev and the community calendar. All this and more coming up. An Oklahoma judge dismissed the reparations lawsuit filed by the last three known survivors of the Tulsa race massacre on Friday, court records show. The three had been in court battle for over a year against the city of Tulsa and other groups and officials over the opportunities taken from them when the city's Greenwood neighborhood was burned to the ground. Once known as Black Wall Street, Greenwood was a prominent black business district that was destroyed in the two-day terrorist attack in 1921. Contemporary reports of deaths began at 36, but historians now believe as many as 300 black people were killed in the Tulsa race massacre, according to the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum. More than 10,000 were left homeless. The living victims, Lessie Benefield Randall, 108 years old, Viola Fletcher, 109, and her brother, Hughes Van Ellis, 102, were among the plaintiffs. According to the reporting from the Associated Press, the lawsuit was brought under Oklahoma's public nuisance law, claiming that the lives lost and the damages suffered from the white supremacist attack continue to impact the city in the present day. However, the city of Tulsa requested the lawsuit be dismissed with prejudice against refiling, arguing in part that, quote, simply being connected to a historical event does not provide a person with unlimited rights to seek compensation from any project in any way related to that historical event, end of quote. An argument from the defendants also claims the plaintiffs did not suffer individualized injury from the attack. Judge Caroline Wall on Friday found that Upon hearing the arguments of counsel and considering the briefs filed by counsel for plaintiffs and counsel for defendants, the plaintiff's Second Amendment petition shall, should and shall be dismissed with prejudice, meaning it can't be filed again in state court, but the group may still appeal. Viola Fletcher was just seven years old when the mobs descended on her hometown. Fletcher recalls, quote, I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot, end of quote. 
Fletcher's memoir, Don't Let Them Bury My Story, will be available next month, focusing on her life following the massacre. Worker strikes can also happen online, as in the case of Etsy this week. Dan Nauman has the story. Teachers, Amazon, hotel and railway workers, and writers of the Writers Guild in Hollywood have been on strike. Unless there is a settlement, it is looking like the actors of the Screen Actors Guild will be striking as of midnight Thursday. There is also now online striking. Etsy Incorporated is an American e-commerce company focused on handmade or vintage items and craft supplies. Online sellers on Etsy are striking this week after the digital marketplace for artisanal goods turned e-commerce platform announced plans to raise its transaction fees to 6.5% up from 5%. The strikers are asking consumers to not buy anything from Etsy for one week. More than 17,000 makers are a part of the week's boycott. Seamstress Christy Cassidy also started a petition at the heart of Etsy's strike. The post was basically asking, when does this end? Because it's just getting worse and worse, and I don't think it's going to end unless we do something, she told CBC News. The strike collective wants Etsy to cancel the fee increase, institute a comprehensive plan to deal with resellers, help sellers affected by extreme AI actions, and give sellers greater flexibility regarding ads. Monday's fee hike means sellers on the platform have seen usage fees double since July 2018. Etsy's fee increase is part of a larger strategy to be an e-commerce platform first, but not really a marketplace for the makers. CEO Josh Silverman said in February, one of my favorite investor questions is when someone asks what my big, hairy, audacious goal is for Etsy. Well, it is to make Etsy the starting point for your e-commerce journey. We understand that's quite a bold goal, given that to make that ambition a reality, we are competing against the biggest names in e-commerce and all of retail for that matter. Another area Etsy sellers are trying to negotiate is the off-site ads program. They want to add an often unpredictable expense to the maker's sale from 12 to 15% for each item sold. The Etsy Strike Collective says thanks to off-site ads, Etsy fees are an unpredictable expense that can take more than 20% of each transaction. We have no control over how these ads are administered or how much of our money is spent. As individual crafters, makers, and small business people, we may be easy for a giant corporation like Etsy to take advantage of, but as an organized front of people determined to use our diverse skills and boundless creativity to win ourselves a fairer deal, Etsy won't have such an easy time shoving us around, the collective said in a statement. Speaking of artisans, a worker cooperative called Artisans.coop is opening in October of 2023. Because of the economic challenges in these times and the coming weeks, I'll be featuring more stories on worker-owned cooperatives, which are also called worker self-directed enterprises, as well as other economic solutions such as collectives. This is Dan Nowman, Rebel Alliance News on KPFK. 
Unite Here, the Union of Hotel and Hospitality Workers, is on their second week of striking. KPFK Working Voices attended a Unite Here rally staged at LAX on June 22nd, shortly before the strike began. This was a large rally of well over a thousand workers, a group of about 200. Protesters staged a sit-in and was subsequently arrested by LAPD. Workers they spoke to talked about the need for higher wages to deal with the rising cost of living in Los Angeles and improved pensions and medical benefits. Peter Rachiopo reports. The strike is basically what the sign says, and it's to bring everybody's salary or pay up to living standards, basically. You know, right now we're struggling. I got two jobs, and I don't think I should have to work two jobs. You know what I mean? But uh, I do have two jobs, and uh, it's kind of hard out here with the salaries that uh, that everybody's getting or benefits. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the salary, as long as it's cut somewhere. You know what I mean? Even if it's the health benefits, if they do 100% health benefits, leave my salary already is. I mean, I got 100%. You know, so it, I don't think it's really... The money is just making sure that everybody is able to live and work in the same area. That's, uh, and that's another reason why I was uh, here because of the other job that I was at. Uh, through the pandemic, they used a lot of people just to get through the pandemic because a lot of people wasn't showing up. A lot of Because I used to work at a hospital. So a lot of people wasn't showing up. A lot of people didn't even want to come to the hospital because of the hospital. All the COVID people are coming there. But the people that chose to come in and do the work just to keep the place running. After the pandemic was gone, they started getting cheaper people. So now the pandemic is over, everybody wants to work. So the people that are getting paid $25 an hour, you can put your to the side because we can get the same person for $17 an hour and we'll make a cut back on the, and that's what they did to me. They let me go after eight years. They brought in a non-union worker that was making $7 lower than I was in my same position. But now I'm without a job, you know, even after I helped him get through COVID, now I'm out, you know, now I'm out of a job. COVID is over, so now I'm looking for a new job. So I had to move to Arizona. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And uh, I was hearing that the Arizona um, risk was lower, but as soon as I got there, it seemed like those start going up too. So it's like, like I said, it's nothing against L.A. job force. I'm pretty sure everybody's going through similar things. But mine has to do with, you know, a past experience that I had with my old job. So I'm here to make sure that doesn't happen to anybody else. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the veterans that I was working with, no, after COVID was no longer there. I don't know how she got rid of them or how they got rid of them. But all of them, all the veterans that I used to work with, no longer there. And they moved in all new people. Or rate. So if you get 10 people making $20 an hour and then you fire them, you get 10 people making $16 an hour, you're yeah. making $40 an hour. You're making more than everybody else. The thing of it is, a lot of people have to move out of the area just to work here at the airport. I'm from the airport, like I said, I don't know if I did tell you or not. But um, better pay wage and then um, our health care as well as the pension. Right now, people are retiring at like getting $3.41 a month. That's not going to make it. And in order to live here in this area, we need a little more money than what we're making. So how far do people have to commute typically? 
you got people living all the way in Lancaster. I got somebody from Bakersfield, like various, just to work here at the airport. It shouldn't be that way. The benefits have been decreased. So instead of giving something, they take something back that we already have. For example, we had certain things in our medical and our pension plan, what things were declined. Because I don't know if the COVID thing or just what, but of course that's what they're saying, that they're not making the money they are, but the airport is back. We're busy, we're making money, the numbers are being. My name is Angel Williams. I work at the airport. I am a ship lead and we're getting, well, I'm getting paid 1975 for working like a manager, like a, like doing other people's jobs, that's hired, just overworked, just tired, working nights, mornings, afternoons, just off, just the off, you know, off thing. We can't live. I mean, my rent is beyond expensive and I'm working just paycheck to paycheck. That's, Basically, that's why I'm basically here. I'm tired and I feel like if I'm working hard, I feel like I should be getting paid how I'm working, you know? I I come every day, faithfully, you know, and I just feel overworked, you know? But it's like you can't quit because where else to go? Everyone in LA is paying less than anybody, you know? And our rent is for a studio is $1,500. That is ridiculous. You know, that's not even a, a bedroom or anything else. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's just crazy just living in LA and have to work paycheck to paycheck. We can't even have a good time because it's everybody just sleeping and working. I think the way the living got high and then the pay got less, if that makes sense. Like, and that don't make, that don't make sense because how are we going to, live off uh rent for fifteen hundred dollars if our paycheck is only a thousand dollars or even like nine hundred dollars a month or every two weeks that's just that's just ridiculous you know so yeah it's not getting better it's getting like 10 times more um my company is we we had 800 starting off down to 200 so they're working people like crazy for all these terminals that they're, you know, that they're providing for. And we work in doubles and still, if we do work the double, we're still not getting paid for the over, the overpay. Half of the seniors that work actually at my job, they're like 60 and they still working. You know, they, they're working for their families. They're, they, they can't survive. You know, they're literally working to the end of their death. And that's not fair. It sucks. I, I have one, this one lady named Lana, like, she, she hurt herself and it's hard. She's still working. She would have injured arm with walking on a cane and it's just not fair. You know, I feel like they should at least help out with that. I hope that they make a change. I really do. Because if they do it again, I, I, it's going to get bigger. It's going to get bigger and it's going to get 10 times worse. You know, people want to more be willing to get arrested for things like this. And I feel like if, to stop all of this, just give us what we deserve, not what we earn, what we literally deserve. Because we're working to make you guys' company feel, or to, you know, for you guys to live, you know? And we out here struggling to live, and we work for you guys. Hi, my name is Marlu Prada. And why are you here today? Oh, I'm staying here because almost a year, uh, the salaries in LA is no recompensation. It's five years. Everything is very expensive. The food, the rent, the gasoline, everything is very expensive. And no guarantee, uh, nothing for, uh, remuneration for five years. 
only the same salary. I need, I need help because now everything is so expensive. Almost one check is for the rent. Some people have so many uh, kisses and uh, some ladies are single. It's difficult for only one lady single and has three or four babies for the food for the rent is so expensive. I need very better salaries. Uh, my name is Angel Jimenez. I work for the company named Hudson Group. And the reason why we're here is because we want more, better opportunity, better salary. Uh, life is getting too expensive, so $18, $19 not gonna help us at all. Uh, right now, when you go out and spend money on a restaurant, uh, it, it costs you more than what we're making. So we are here, everybody, everybody here for a reason, to get better health insurance, better benefits, more opportunity, more people for those companies that are taking advantage of our wealth condition, okay? And that's the reason why we're all here, to support our community, to have a better life with our family and ourselves. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Please help keep independent journalism alive and KPFK Radio strong. Become a Sustainer Circle member of KPFK by pledging at any level. $10, $20, $100 per month, whatever suits you. This is Verdine White of Earth, Wind & Fire, encouraging you to make your tax-deductible donation today at 818-985-5735 or kpfk.org. If you didn't get a chance to donate, renew, or become a member, or join the Sustainer Circle during the on-air drive, you can still do so at kpfk.org or call 818 818- 985-5735. Cannabis dispensary drivers and depot workers are choosing to unionize. Dan McQuarrie brings the story. My name is Chase Edmondson. I work for Ease uh, Cannabis Delivery Company. And how's everything going over there? Not the best, but uh, pretty good that we won our election. And from what I understand, uh, that now stands at somewhere around 300 employees are unionized? That's the number that I've been getting. <laughs> okay, and from what I understand, there's 3,000 employees total. In 2022, your employer made $19 million. Wow, I did not know that. And your current pay is uh, 50 cents over minimum wage. It's 15 50 an hour, from what I understand, for most uh, titles, including drivers and uh, Inspection specialists, whatever the kind of titles they're giving them. What would you say is an average wage? Well, the drivers are paid minimum wage, and then I believe the people with inside the depot who normally uh, do packing and inventory are about 50 cents above minimum wage, and I think those who have the quote-unquote supervisor role are paid a dollar or two more than minimum wage. Yeah, from what I was able to discover, 
Uh, in San Francisco, a depot specialist makes $18 an hour. Hopefully that's going to be on the, on the list of demands for your first contract, right? Uh, for sure. <laughs> Do you have any idea on dates yet when this is about to happen? The last that I heard from our union reps is that Eve wanted to move up the negotiations to the 7th of last week. Um, but I haven't heard anything uh, from that. And how's it looking? Do you feel like everybody's ready to to walk if necessary? Oh yes, yeah. We definitely have a very very upset uh, crowd of employees that do not feel like they have been heard over the past couple of years. From what I understand, they've gradually taken away uh, some of the money that was meant for upkeep of your vehicle and uh, things like that. How prevalent is that? I'm not quite sure. And at the different locations, but at least here in Los Angeles, do deliver a lot in the hills areas, and that was a great amount of wear and tear on our transmissions, and we've had multiple drivers having to replace their transmissions. I actually replaced my car back in November because of transmission issues, and it is, it is kind of a big blow to have a 25% reduction in mileage reimbursement. Not being generous in any shape of the word, are they? Not at all, and not transparent either. I would assume they've got some union-busting lawyer in there, or do you think that uh, they're going to be pretty pretty fair about negotiating? The feel that I get from our union leaders is that they seem open to negotiating, like, fairly. However, with the mileage reimbursement decrease, when we have already had uh, depots under a contract, and they went ahead with this change, like basically breaking that contract with those depots. I, I'm not quite sure. So uh, when when do negotiations start? You... Um, from what I understood is that they were supposed to start originally in September, okay. and then Ease, for their own reasons, um, they decided they wanted to start earlier. And the last date I heard was July 7th. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think is important to uh, what's happening with the industry in general, with something uh, at ease, or what's happening in your particular uh, work location? Well, I know our work location has been a very strange situation because we actually moved locations about a year ago, and since then it seems like the quality of the job has decreased significantly bit by bit throughout the year. So uh, it, it was a matter of leaving or, or bargaining for your rights is what it sounds like to me. Would you say that's a, yeah. a fair explanation? Oh, yes. We actually, some of the hardest workers that we had here have all left this year. Actually, starting back in December, we like we started losing people like flies in December and then February and then past couple months. We are now down to just two employees from our uh, our crew of last year with inside the depot. Uh, drivers, on the other hand, uh, it's a little mm. harder to gauge because I'm not, I, we don't really know when people leave or are fired until like, hey, have you seen this person? It's like, oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> How do you think the negotiations are going to go? Do you, do you feel pretty comfortable about the company being able to meet term demands and doing so? Or are you feeling it's going to be a fight all the way? I feel that the demands like aren't unreasonable. I'm hoping, I'm being optimistic that it won't result in a strike, but from their past year of kind of neglecting their employees, like 
we, we mostly, you know, we inquire about things and they always give us the, oh, uh, we'll get back to you on that and never hear from them. How can the general public show their support or, or help you in any way? You know, most people would think boycotting a company, hurting, hurting the company where it counts in the wallet, like that'll cause change. But in the short term, it, it'll hurt a lot of, a lot of drivers and a lot of people working in our depots because I know a lot of them are working paycheck to paycheck or living paycheck to so paycheck, sorry. If you end up going out on strike and you're out there on the street and the picket line, let us know and uh, some of our listeners will be out there to join you. That'd be awesome. I've been talking to Chase. Appreciate uh, the report and we'll keep in touch. This is Dan McCoy for Rebel Alliance News. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. We've invented cars that drive themselves and 3D printers that build prosthetic arms and legs. We've successfully transplanted hearts and lungs. Now it's time to end Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is on track to cost the nation nearly $1 trillion by 2050. We can either be known for having the most expensive disease in history or for putting an end to it. Ask Congress to join the fight at alz.org slash time to end alz. Greetings, I'm Sister Charlene Muhammad of Liberated Sisters. And I'm Brother Ali. Inviting you to tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here at KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM San Diego County, and 99.5 FM Ridgecrest, China Lake. Also streaming live at kpfk.org. That's Liberated Sisters. Peace. This is the Kingpin Shaheen from Legendary Infinity 4FCs giving a shout out to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, y'all out. Walk through the valley, but the Lord is by my side. He heard my cry. Hold me down, hold me down, hold me down, hold me down. KBSK Rebel Alliance News Los Angeles
Celebrate Bastille Day on Friday, July 14th, and let's meet up and hear the premier political poets of their generation, Matt Sadio and Tongo Isen Martin, in a benefit presentation fundraiser for KPFK at the Strategy and Soul Center, 3546 West Martin Luther King Boulevard in Los Angeles. Reception, meet and greet begins at 6 p.m. and the poetry spoken word starts at 7.30 p.m. Matt and Tongo are not only poets, but organizers and publishers. Matt has launched El Martillo Press here in Los Angeles and Tongo produces books with Black Freighter Press in San Francisco. They are both internationally renowned, award-winning poets with unique voices that illuminate the challenges of our time and a path forward. Come celebrate the revolutionary holiday of Bastille Day when the French people breached the walls of the political prison, the Bastille. Matt Cedillo is also a programmer on KPFK. Catch him Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. on Raza Unada Radio, part of KPFK's Morning Mix Radio magazine, and as rotating host of Poets Cafe on Wednesdays at 2 p.m., part of our early morning after, after part of our early afternoon arts and cultural affairs strip. Get more details about this exclusive event at kpfk.org. Excessive Heat Watch in North Hollywood at KPFK 90.7 FM for Saturday and Sunday with low 90s. The Apple Weather Weekend forecast for our sister stations in Southern California, mid-70s in San Diego, mid-80s in Santa Barbara with excessive heat warning in Ridgecrest, China Lake, 113 degrees, Saturday and Sunday. The music you hear is by Michael Washington of M. Watch Soul, and the song is called Western Avenue. Washington is a local artist born and raised in Los Angeles. Find him on Instagram and SoundCloud under M. Wash Soul, Michael Washington. Peter Rachiopu visited the WGA picket lines in the joint union rally staged last month. Workers talk about how the entry of streaming companies has worsened pay, residuals, and working conditions. Workers also talk about the threat to their jobs posed by AI and the need to take action on this issue now. Peter Rachiopo brings us the story. Uh, so what's your name? My name is Todd Berger. And you're on strike right now? I'm on strike right now. I'm a member of the Writers Guild. I've been in the Writers Guild since 2002. Uh, I was in the Writers Guild strike in 2007, so this is my second strike. And uh, yeah. So what brings you out here today and, and uh, why are you on strike? Well, we're out here today because this is kind of the, the union strike back rally. It's a gathering of a bunch of different unions, not only entertainment unions, but you've got teachers unions, you've got the Teamsters, you've got a bunch of different people here to, today. Uh, and we're on, we specifically are on strike because of the corporations that own the media companies that we all work for are making more and more money every year. Uh, but that money is not trickling down to the people who create the content. Um, it's becoming harder and harder to make a middle-class living uh, as a writer uh, or as an actor or as a director. 
and uh, we're not, our income is not keeping up with the, the massive amounts of money that these companies are making. And more importantly than that, um, the whole system has changed with streaming. And when all of these streaming deals were made many, many years ago, um, we didn't really know what this was going to be. And now pretty much everything is moving to streaming and we're not really getting any any of those residuals anymore. Uh, if you write for a network TV show, you have a pretty good residual deal because these deals have been set up for 75 years. But if you write for a streaming show, you don't really get any money because uh, it's a lot of funny math. A lot of these streaming services don't even need to reveal their numbers, how many people watch a show. Uh, and so we're just trying to catch up. We're trying to catch up to technology. Also, uh, thinking about the future. You know, they always say you're not striking for the present, you're striking about the future. Uh, we're worried about AI and how the studios and media companies want to use AI technology uh, for writing, whether it's to write a script or to write a bad script and then actually hire a writer to rewrite the bad script that they will then take credit for having written the first draft. Uh, but there's a lot going on. Um, and a lot of free work happens, a lot of free pitch, a lot of things happen. But I think the reason we're all here today is because, you know, back in 2007, the writers were kind of on their own when they, they went on strike. But I think a lot has changed in the last 15 years, and, and the labor movement has really grown. And all of these other unions are here today uh, as labor comes together as one to say, hey, billionaires who make a ton of money every year, uh, what about us? Uh, so I think we're all finally banding together and being like enough is enough. But uh, yeah, SAG is also currently negotiating. And Teamsters as well might be uh, taking yeah, stock. IATSE and, and uh, DGA is also negotiating right now. So we might see a lot of people on strike soon. Have you seen other efforts other than today to uh, build kind of inter-union solidarity and action? Yeah, there was a big rally uh, at the Shrine Auditorium a couple days after the strike started where they had speakers from all of the different unions um, get up and, and talk about how we're all in this together this time. You guys aren't on your own. And so, you know, Teamsters have a very strict rule about, about crossing picket lines. So the writers have been able to uh, shut down a lot of productions by having pickets at productions uh, where they're shooting a movie or a TV show. And as long as there's two writers with signs, that's a picket line and the Teamsters won't cross that that line. And so the trucks turn around and go home and then they can't make the show. So that's been another uh, strategy. So you mentioned that you participated in a strike a number of years ago. Yeah. Have there been, have you noticed any differences in, in how this strike has been conducted? Yeah, actually it's like, that was 2007. There's a lot more a vibe of like, we're in a Bruce Springsteen song. We're, there's a lot of anger, right? A lot of like, we're in a blue collar steel mill. But it's 15 years later, now we have social media. Now it's millennials out here striking. And you know, on, on the first day I was actually like, I was telling my friend here, I was like, why are we having so much fun? Why are there funny signs? Why are people just singing karaoke? And then I realized, oh, that, uh, we could be here all day. Like we can, we can keep doing this. We are fine. The bonds and, of the brotherhood. Uh, it's a lot more together. A sense of togetherness this time. I think. Like in 2007, I got the vibe. It was a lot of anger, of trying to get what we needed. And now, I don't know. It feels a, not like we're having fun, but like we're we're so cool with doing this. We could do this 
as long as it takes, you know? And it, there's less anger and more just like, the, this is the reality. We all know the reality now. And we're all, and because of social media and because of kind of the way to get the message out, uh, it's just like a different vibe. You know, there's theme, there's like Star Trek theme or superhero themes. You didn't see that in 2007. It was a lot more just like chanting as if we're in front of a steel mill. But now there's, you know, bring your dog, <laughs> you know, picket theme. Or So I think the younger members are really more into this. And it's because younger members grew up realizing like, oh, with, uh, you know, after Occupy Wall Street and after seeing the rise of billionaires, they have much more of a sense of it's us versus them, and which I think is great. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely more energy, I think positive energy this time around. And you mentioned that the streaming companies were able to, to come in and change the working conditions and decrease pay and residuals. How have you seen that happening and, and how has it affected you personally? Most of the, from what I understand, by the way, I'm not on the negotiating committee. Anything I say might be wrong. But when we made our deal for the internet, residuals it was in 2007 where there that wasn't really a thing like you could buy an episode of the office on itunes i guess in 2007 but they figured all of these formulas a long time ago when no one knew what this was going to be and so i have a lot of friends who uh you know i have friends who write on network television a show and they'll get a nice residual check every time the show airs but because the, the the streaming residuals when these formulas were figured out many years ago it's just not a lot it's not a big check it's not a big check anymore and they they find clever ways to kind of screw you uh with their clever accounting and i personally i've written for streaming things and i'm like oh that check's not nearly as big as i thought it was going to be you know because it's they call it internet use only you know it's which in 2007, if you said, oh, this commercial or this TV show is only for the internet, you'd be like, oh, that's a little thing that no one's going to watch. Not realizing that streaming is the internet. So if you were to write, you know, Stranger Things, that's technically you're writing an internet show. And so they're like, well, we made these deals for internet usage 15 years ago. And now we're like, come on, come on. It's Stranger Things, you know? Uh, so they're just figuring out clever ways to not have to pay people for shows that are being watched by millions and millions and millions of people. Like, for example, I wrote a, movie, a feature for Netflix last fall. It was called The Curse of Bridge Hollow. I have no idea how many people have watched it because Netflix doesn't reveal their numbers, right? If it was on NBC, you'd see the ratings. But Netflix just doesn't tell you that information. So I don't know. Like, I have no idea. It could be seen by five people. It could have been seen by 50 million who knows? I see. So they keep this information private. Yeah, it's like an industry trade secret because they don't want people to know. And uh, you mentioned the new AI technology is changing things for workers and and you know increasing security for a lot of writers. How would, how has that affected things so far? And what is the WGI doing to fight back against the use of AI? Like so far, it's not really doing anything because it's so primitive. I think what the WGI is worried about is a these companies taking scripts that have already been written by actual writers and feeding it into the machine to let the AI learn how to write. I'm like, oh, cool, you, you're taking our writing to make your platform try to replace us. And B, I think, look, people are less worried about AI, like writing an episode of a TV show, because it's always going to kind of suck, right? Like, AI doesn't it's good at certain things, but if you said, hey, AI, write an episode of Stranger Things, it's going to give you something really bad. 
What people are worried about is an executive saying, oh, I've got an idea for a movie, or I have an idea for an episode of uh, Stranger Things. Hey, AI, write this episode of Stranger Things. Here's my idea. It's going to spit out something very bad. They're then going to hire a writer to come in and rewrite that script. But then the executive can claim, well, I wrote that first draft using AI. So this is no longer an original script. It's a rewrite, which is a lot less money, a lot less residuals. And they're taking something bad written by a computer and they're not going to hire people to do a polish on it, which is a lot less money than if they just hired the writer in the first place to write the episode. So I think that's what people are worried, more worried about at this point. But really, in the big picture, we just don't know like what AI is going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And so they're trying to just have a conversation about it now. The way that in 2007, they said, let's have a conversation about the internet. And at that time, all the studios and uh, media companies were like, it's the internet. What? People are going to watch TV on the internet? And here we are in 2023, where most people watch shows streaming on quote unquote the internet. And so it's just thinking ahead. The WGA in there, they, they released their list of kind of what we asked for and what the studios came back with. And they said, hey, we just want to have a conversation about the AI and uh, how we can regulate its use. And they kind of just responded like, no, we're not even going to talk about it. Right, because they're they're counting on AI to uh, be able to massively lower costs by firing a lot of people. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's going to be like when, you know, if you're a car company, you can hire robots to build cars. They're like, oh, we can just hire robots to write scripts. But and honestly, it's going to be a lot easier to hire robots to replace them. You know, corporate executives are going to be a lot easier to replace with robots than writers who actually have like imaginations. Not that corporate executives don't have imaginations, but the skills needed to write a script requires imagination, which is something that a robot's never going to have. SAG actors have to worry about deepfake technology with AI, right? Like, oh, you know, you go see uh, Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, and they took Peter, was it Peter Cushing? Peter Cushing's performance, and they digitally recreated Peter Cushing in Rogue One. And more and more actors are noticing in their contracts these weird clauses that say, we're allowed to take your image and likeness and voice and use it for anything we want later on. So if they do a sequel, they don't even have to hire you. They can just recreate your performance in a computer. Therefore, you get paid nothing. Like, you're not going to get paid for that because they're using an AI-generated version of you in the movie. Or to do ADR. You know, if, you, if they need new dialogue in post-production, they have to pay the actor to do that. But if they can just digitally recreate your voice using AI, then they don't have to pay you to do that. So actors are just as concerned about this as the writers are. Well, we're, we're seeing an upsurge of labor struggles in general. Are there any thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with about this struggle and uh, your, your hopes for the future of, of this strike and labor in general? I just think we as a society are, are kind of like, what do, we need, what do we need all these billionaires for? Why do the heads of these companies need to be making $100, $250 million a year where we're not making enough to like buy a, a house? You know, like I can't afford a mortgage. Uh, in Burbank, yet the head of the company is making $100 million a year. Is that necessary? And so I think we as a society and young people are realizing more and more like, oh, the wealth inequality is kind of messed up. And so hopefully we all are going to band together and make some changes.
KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. You can hear more reports from Peter Rachiopo here on KPFK Working Voices, Fridays at 10 a.m. Here is today's international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere with Polina Vasiliev. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international highlights from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. At the summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, NATO issued a joint statement saying Ukraine's path into the alliance can only be considered when conditions are met and all parties agree. Here's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. The invitation will be issued when conditions are uh, met. Um, then I would like to add that on top of that, of course, allies are also uh, providing substantial military support. Uh, because the most urgent task now is to ensure that Ukraine prevails. Because unless Ukraine prevails, there is no membership issue to be discussed at all. And if you look at uh, other membership processes, there have not been uh, time uh, 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 lines for those processes. They are conditions-based, has always been. The president of Poland, a member of the alliance, even said they couldn't see Kiev joining the bloc while it's engaged in a military conflict. You must be aware of this. If Ukraine were admitted to NATO today, during the conflict, it would first demand that Article 5 be proclaimed. Then other allied states would have to help defend Ukraine. That would mean war. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol visited Lithuania this week to take part in the NATO summit. In Seoul, President Yoon's moves to strengthen the country's ties with NATO are drawing criticism. Frank Smith has this report. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol traveled to Vilnius, Lithuania to participate in his second NATO summit as he seeks the bloc's support in deterring North Korea. As Secretary-General Stoltenberg has mentioned, we are in the situation where the security in the Atlantic cannot be separated from the security in the Indo-Pacific region. NATO has requested South Korea send military aid to Ukraine, and while Seoul has restricted its assistance to non-lethal aid, NATO maintains interest in South Korea taking a greater role in the pact. Nuclear and missile programs of North Korea uh, this uh, affects uh, all uh, NATO allies and uh, just uh, underlines the importance of uh, uh, all those who believe in the rules-based order to stand together. South Korea signed an 11-point cooperation agreement with NATO on the first day of the Vilnius summit. South Korea's President Yoon has sought to strengthen the country's alliance with the United States since coming to office in May of 2022. But now his efforts to boost defense ties and up the pressure on North Korea take on new dimensions with South Korea's cooperation agreement with NATO. However, in South Korea, the Yoon government's moves to court NATO membership draw concern. As NATO's expansion and military progress are strengthened and the U.S. intention to build a global alliance is strengthened, the confrontation structure of the new Cold War, where confrontations and crises take place on a daily basis, will be strengthened. Also, peace in Asia, the Pacific region and the Korean Peninsula in Northeast Asia will be destroyed. North Korea, meanwhile, launched a ballistic missile on the second day of the NATO summit. Tensions have been high, with the U.S. and South Korea holding large-scale military drills and planning to again soon deploy a U.S. nuclear submarine to South Korea. 
the FBI has violated the First Amendment at the behest of Ukraine's security service, U.S. House of Representatives findings claim. RT's Rachel Blevins delves into the details. The FBI worked with and on behalf of a foreign intelligence agency and directly abetted efforts to censor Americans engaging in protected speech. The FBI has been accused of colluding with Ukrainian intelligence to censor content on social media. That's according to a report from the House Judiciary Committee citing documents from the parent companies of Facebook and Google. It claims that Ukraine's SBU would flag content on social media and then send it over to the FBI, who then reached out to the companies themselves and requested to have that content removed. In so doing, the FBI violated the First Amendment rights of Americans and potentially undermined our national security. In light of well-documented instances of the FBI's civil liberties abuses, this new information raises grave concerns about the FBI's credibility as the nation's premier law enforcement organization. But the story wouldn't be complete without accusations of Russian involvement, right? Well, the focus of the report isn't just on the FBI and its censorship, but also on the claim that the SBU was, quote, widely known to be infiltrated by Russian-aligned forces. That claim was made without any evidence, as the report detailed the ways in which the FBI used anything it believed had come from Ukrainian intelligence to demand social media companies censor individuals that included a verified U.S. State Department account and American journalist. In contrast to the Biden administration's stated support for Ukraine, the FBI on behalf of the SBU flagged Americans' accounts and posts that were critical of Vladimir Putin and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The report also exposes how the FBI offered Facebook and Instagram legal cover to remove the SBU's flagged accounts. The FBI appears to have been so eager to silence content on social media in the name of Russian disinformation that it told the companies involved it would take the blame legally for the censorship. And thanks to the Twitter files, we know that similar actions were carried out across social media platforms. But the same FBI that claimed it would take the blame has been awfully quiet amid the latest revelations. New data suggests that the United Kingdom's unemployment rate has risen above expectations to 4% in the three months to May. More than a million Britons are unemployed at the moment amid a stubbornly high inflation. Saeed Pereza reports. The wheels of the British economy are turning but not fast enough, and the state of the job market is one indicator. The UK's Office for National Statistics says the unemployment rate jumped to 4% into three months to May this year, up from 3.8% previously, driven by wage rises and by people out of work for up to 12 months. Well, employment levels are high, but the trouble with Britain is we got less people working than pre-COVID. So we got record levels in employment. We're not far off the record levels. But the number of people in jobs has gone down because we've got this sort of six to nine hundred thousand people seem to have disappeared from the workforce. Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt has put getting Britons back into work at the heart of his plan for economic growth. Yet more than a million people are still unemployed. Let's see how the UK economy compares with other advanced economies. The Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, says year-on-year inflation in the group of seven wealthy nations fell to 4.6% in May this year, down from 5.4% in April. 
reaching its lowest level since September 2021, making the UK the only country in the G7 where inflation is at 8.7 percent. Well, the cause of inflation is not the workers asking for wage rises; it's the printing of money. You see, central banks want to blame everybody but themselves. They printed the money. The U.S. did it. The U.K. did it. The Europeans did it. But of course, Britain has the additional problem of Brexit, and that has pushed up inflation costs across the economy. It's the only explanation for the big differential. The Bank of England, whose job it is to control inflation, has responded with increasing the interest rate 13 times so far, with more interest rate rises on the horizon. That has seen mortgage rates soar, making repayments more difficult for homeowners, many of whom have seen their salaries squeezed by inflation, sending off a tidal wave of public sector strikes over the past year. The government here has promised labor market reforms, including expanding free childcare next year, hoping to encourage more and more people to go back to work and fill in those hundreds of thousands of vacancies that it says are fueling inflation. But the fact remains that the rate of economic growth and inflation in the UK remain particularly bad compared to similar economies. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasiliev. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. What it is, KPFK? I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News Community Calendar. The city of Inglewood continues its summer movies in the park series Saturday, July 15th at Inglewood City Hall on the South Mall for Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. The movie series ends with the Super Mario Brothers movie Saturday, August 12th at North Park. All movies are free. Seating begins at 6 p.m. and movies begin at dusk. Food trucks will be on site and refreshments will be available for purchase. Bring your snacks, blankets, and lawn chairs for an unforgettable evening of cinema under the stars. For additional information, call 310-412-8750. You can find the city of Inglewood on all social media platforms. Construction job and apprenticeship fair presented by Carson Mayor Lula Davis Holmes and the South Bay Workforce Investment Board, Saturday, July fifteenth, nine a.m. to one p.m. at the Carson Community Center, eight zero one East Carson Street in Carson. Summer Youth Collective presents Sydney Camlager. 37th District Congressional Student Art Competition at Range Project Gallery, featuring students from Culver City and Manual Arts High Schools, Saturday, July 22nd, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., 3718 West Lawson Avenue at Range Projects Gallery in Los Angeles. Call 323-528-6839 for more details or email rangeonslawson at gmail.com. Julia Smith is the executive art director of Range Projects. Check out Will Power's play "Fetch Clay, Make Man," directed by Debbie Allen, is about Muhammad Ali and Stephen Fetchett as friends who are trying to control their legacy. This play run now runs now until July 16th at the Kirk Douglas Theater, 9820 Washington Boulevard in Culver City. 
The production at Kirk Douglas Theater is a collaboration between Center Theater Group and the Spring Hill Company. The latter is a studio team founded by LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Fetch Clay Make Man is their first theatrical stage endeavor. Call 213-628-2772 for more info or visit centertheatergroup.org. White Knights, Black Paradise, a dramatic stage play about Black Jonestown, written and directed by Sakibu Hutchison, is having a casting call for its upcoming production for multi-generational Black and white actresses. Rehearsals began in late summer with production in October 20th to the 22nd, 2023 at the Blue Door Theater in Culver City. For more info, email s. Hutch2396 at AOL.com. That's S H H. That's S Hutch2396 at AOL.com. Through the Glass Production announces its short film, A Year to Life, and is kicking off its film festival circuit in the United States at the 27th Annual Los Angeles Shorts International Film Festival, Friday, July 28th. 5.30 p.m. at the Regal Cinemas at L.A. Live, 1000 West Olympic Boulevard in downtown Los Angeles. Go to a ayeartolife.com for more details. Santa Monica Playhouse presents its Midsummer Night performance, Stogie Kenyatta's acclaimed one-man show, The World is My Home, The Life of Paul Robeson, Saturday, July 15th, 7.30 p.m. at the Santa Monica Playhouse. 1211 4th Street near Wilshire. For more information, go to Santa Monica Playhouse.com. Free community food giveaway every third Saturday, July 15th at 10 a.m. to noon. Please share with anyone who may be in need of fresh fruits and vegetables. The address is 1215 East Rubidoux in Wilmington. Check out covenantblessing.org for details. Okay, well, I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions. You've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you for keeping KPFK a strong, independent source of music, arts, news, and information. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, and all Rebel Alliance News contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. Coming up next is Feminist Magazine.